and uh, yeah, we we've always kept in touch, and we've done a few things together in business, and so he's always interested in getting different people on the show, people who do do different things. You know, I think the theme that he was covering was um, sort of personal stories around right. de- determination and success. So anyway, I was happy enough that he put me in that category. So <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Just happy to be considered. Um, all right. Well, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for you know how long to um, to finally do it. So it's an honor. I hope it goes smoothly. But to be quite honest, you know, it's it's just a conversation anyway. And there's just so many conversations happening about this space, Bitcoin, blockchain, whatever. So um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 there it, is. It, yeah, there is. It, it just feels like every time sort of in in between that we speak that just so much happens in in, in the week or or whatever um yeah i mean tell me about it happened with bitcoin and its price in the last week week so um yeah this is going to rage on for the next year i reckon um so yeah i mean probably longer i mean i think it's easy you know maybe one of the things we'll talk about is it's easy to um be under the mistaken mistaken impression that the whole world is really following this thing, but yeah, you know, it's, it's just a small. It's not, it's not necessarily the case. It's still very small, and I think that small uh, percentage, a small percentage. I think it's it's a very small percentage. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's basically it's basically equivalent or commensurate to, you know, the the market cap. Really. I mean, yeah. 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 So, uh, which is still very small, and the attention is small. I mean, obviously the the global media and the corporate media and financial media, obviously that's, it's getting a, it, it's gaining a kind of an outsized proportion of attention right now because every, all, all the other asset classes are either so distorted or so inflated or yeah. like negative yielding like bonds. <laughs> but yeah. there's like, there's not that much else to be, to be singing about right now, you know? So. Yeah. I, I think, I also think there's a little bit of sort of media manipulation. Cause if you look at it, um, when it was this price uh, around sort of the 20k mark uh, three years ago, obviously, you know, the news was all over it, right? Um, and it's it's pretty much near its all-time high. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there's been pretty much silence from the media. So I don't know if it's a, an opportunity yet for for corporations and institutions to keep buying on the, on the slide. They're telling their corporations like not make not speak about it in the news basically and they, they're still um loading up on their bitcoin and then um yeah probably when it goes over the sort of the well well over the um, all-time high we'll probably see retail finally wake up and yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly exactly i mean we can talk about that in the session i mean for sure there's going to be um yeah, there was, you know, there was a sort of euphoria three, I agree, three years ago, yeah, and then it was sort of, um, it, was, it, was all, it was all doom and gloom after that. And so the, the, <laughs> the Nuriel Rabinis of the world were sort of using that as sort of a yeah. justification for, for, you know, basically pouring cold water on the entire thing, but he's since been made to eat his words, so. Right. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> he's not dead yet, but we'll see, we'll see. No, no, yeah, we'll see, exactly. We'll see. Okay, so let, let's crack on. Um, so just basically, um, sort of the structure, I'll just be quick. So it's obviously just going to be our voices. Um, and what I'll do is do sort of a brief intro, um, which I'll just do on my own um, about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so how I kind of introduce you is just, just say, um, hi, how's your day kind of thing. 
and then we yeah. can jump in into okay so you know who you are who's McKay research and and just flow into it like that so I'll just obviously layer uh, that intro all, all the all my uh, jazzy music on top of that <laughs> and yeah yeah so we can just really just launch into the conversation uh and, and that's it yeah yeah I mean look I'm, I'm happy to um basically we don't have to be in my in my view um chronological in any way we can jump around here there everywhere so yeah i'm 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 dyslexic so we're gonna naturally jump around but yeah uh, yeah of all conversation i'm happy to do that i mean that's yeah. sort of the way these things go anyway because it's all yeah, sort of yeah, um, yeah 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 it, i'll, I'll try because yeah. in my head obviously you've kind of structured kind of how you want to uh, have the conversation so i'll try and do it as much but we'll probably drift but it's fine i'll try and just kind of push us back to 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 the structure uh, just so i don't throw you off too much but um you know your stuff anyway so it's all good so on that note i'd just like to say james mr mckay welcome 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 to the genesis block education podcast how's your day what's going on Malcolm, great to be with you finally. Um, I know it's been a long time in coming. Yeah, finally we made it happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, exactly. Uh, good things come to those who wait. So let, let's hope, make it a good one for everybody. Uh, my day is cool. You know, I, I had a good good week, very, very busy. Um, I had a product launch for my business, um, wow. all sorts of shenanigans going on with other things in terms of uh, relocation right now. And um, yeah, it's Friday and here I am still at the office. Oh, mate! Uh, about sorry. to do a, about to do a podcast, and maybe this is this is the new normal for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just just briefly, lockdown two point How's it treating you? Um, you know what? Not too bad. Um, I, I try not to complain too much about it. Yeah. Um, particularly now that the weather is like not as good. Um, though I'm not, you know, I, I have to be honest. I haven't really been confined to my bedroom or what, or a living room or whatnot. I have been going to a sort of a socially distanced distanced workspace it's still kind of kept its doors open and um, you know i've really just been using the opportunity uh sort of to have distraction free um work long work days and and focusing on you know all the things going on uh, in the blockchain and bitcoin spaces uh, obviously Mm -hmm. and uh, as well as all the other things i'm involved with with my clients so on and so forth so it's been busy um the kids obviously still at school Nice. So they haven't sort of been beating my my uh, door down like they did uh, for a few <laughs> weeks in summer there. Um, so it's it, it's been it's been okay. Um, but I know that the two of us have had conversations in the past, of course, about what we think is actually going on here. And obviously, yeah. we won't go into that. That's not the topic yeah. of conversation. But I really do think that I really do think that they're going to have to. The government is going to have to find some sort of way to not be as rigid and as dogmatic in there. You know, yeah. it was prescribed with their, you know, rulemaking. And um, so, yeah, I have seen a few things about, uh, you know, cases dropping. So who knows? Maybe things will open up again soon, sooner than, the, than we think. Well, fingers crossed before we approach Christmas. But today we're here. Exactly. Yeah. So today we're here to answer the question, is blockchain hype? And obviously I have yourself, Mr. James McKay, on behalf of McKay Research. So uh, James, tell us about McKay Research and tell us about yourself, of course. Okay, well, I'll keep this one brief. It's um, basically, I'm, a, I'm an independent research consultant and my expertise is really global trend analysis and uh, end-to-end custom research um, solutions. Uh, and I've really spent 
a significant time, over 12 years now, um, performing in-depth qualitative and quantitative studies for some of the world's largest privately held um, research companies. Um, and that's really been across several industries as well, including fast moving consumer goods, um, consumer finance, pharmaceuticals. Uh, and I've also spent some time as a portfolio analyst here in London. Okay. So I, I've been quite fortunate in that I've had you know, the opportunity to have performed like a lot of deep dive analysis for, for, for all these industries. And um, a large part of that, of course, was um, doing a lot of in-depth interviews with um, you know, industry experts, um, chief executives, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I sort of quickly learned through that that I, I, I sort of started seeing patterns in the data and trends both within and between different markets. And I developed my own sort of 360 methodology around that, oh, nice. um, which, which I obviously took very seriously as my clients would be paying you know, for me not to miss things. And so um, from that, really, I learned that there was a demand uh, for consultants who can you know, not only run the numbers in new and interesting ways, but um, can also give, you know, perspectives informed by a plurality of market experience, um, as opposed to, you know, single domain thinking. Uh, And, you know, that's kind of the issue now with with the increase in data and big data. Yeah. A lot of the specialisms are becoming very data heavy. And indeed, you know, a lot of people are having increasing issues um, stepping outside of that. So, there is a demand for people who can actually see and connect things in different ways. So that so, was really the, the driving force behind setting up uh, McKay Research, where I, and I now bring this sort of unsiloed view, I like to call it, oh, nice. to my portfolio, to my portfolio of, of clients that include investment firms, um, market intel firms, legal consultancies. And so, but the focus is very much on, on tech and investment for me. Okay, so what's attracted you to, I guess, the blockchain space? Well, that's the... Um, the million dollar question, really. Uh, it is the way, from my vantage point, as somebody who's looked at, you know, trends, um, social trends, political, economic trends, uh, as well as obviously the multiple consumer markets and investment markets that I've tracked over the years, um, I kind of, without getting too philosophical, I sort of see Bitcoin as a potential once in a lifetime intersection mm. uh, of, or like interlocking of, of multiple trends all at the same time of yeah. you know, in technology, in finance, in politics. And yes, it, it does have some real potential to correct some of the, you know, structural issues and imbalances that we're seeing, you know, play out in front of our eyes pretty much every day now. Um, and I first really got heard of the space through my basically my coverage and my studying of, of capital markets, like the gold okay. market and the bond market. Right. Typically, um, my background um, in in financial markets really was um, very gold heavy because I, I I realized from mm. quite early on that if you understand how gold works, it it forces you to understand how everything around it works, um, okay. including stock market, um, you know, the, the debt market or the bond market, um, monetary systems, monetary policy, and so on and so forth. So I really first became familiarized with um, Bitcoin um, through studying gold. And of course, having listened to a lot of the gold guys over the years and knowing what their positions are, not that I agree with all of them, uh, far from it. Um, I became aware of this thing <laughs> called Bitcoin yeah. that in the early days was really seen as just maybe something that, you know, 
I don't think many people took it seriously. They thought it was just, um, you know, a form of internet money that a bunch of like IT, you know, geeks. bedroom bound, um, you know, <laughs> sort of geeks interested in like trading amongst themselves. Yeah. It, it soon became that, uh, you know, actually this thing wasn't going to go away and, you know, there was a reason for it. And, and from there, I started to investigate the technology a little bit more closely. And it did very much tally with a lot of my understanding from okay. uh, what's, you know, my analysis of the, of the global financial crisis in 2007, 2008, and why, why the people who were touting Bitcoin actually might be onto something. Um, and so really, it really, all my um, involvement in the industry really stemmed from, from that vantage point, really one that was very much sort of a macroeconomic and even political mm. uh, platform. And um, yeah, and, and here, here we are today. Of course, um, you know, it's, it's worlds apart um, from, from when I first started following it. Oh, yeah, but, exactly. you know, it's it's yeah. very Snowball. applicable to almost every area of almost every area that I've covered in the past. So yeah. it's yeah, very, very exciting space. 100%. Um, so we'll talk about the cross-section between Bitcoin. We'll talk about the cross-section between Bitcoin and gold in a second. But I just want to kind of go to the basics of, of uh, blockchain. So what is blockchain? I know this is such a vast question. <laughs> so <laughs> if you can narrow it down in the best way that, you, you know, <clears throat> You can. In, in, your, in your view, what is blockchain? How do you see it from a, from a layman's perspective? Well, what I would say is that um, the more you know about this industry and the technology, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I, I did, and as soon as you think you've, you've kind of nailed it, it's like I've understood the general concepts, um, then you realize, oh, my gosh, there's a whole other you know, layer of complexity. Um, you know, layers of protocols or, or whatever else that you, that you haven't, you know, quite got to grips with and haven't grasped yet. So it all, everything else. But um, the way I like to break it down, uh, as you ask the question, what is blockchain, is that I definitely do see them as distinct. Bitcoin is not blockchain and blockchain is by no means Bitcoin. Okay. And for me, the easiest way to think about it is that blockchain is just simply one aspect of, you know, one of the core technologies that, that um, powers Bitcoin or, or Bitcoin is underpinned by. Okay. And so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that um, where I draw a distinction in my mind between Bitcoin and blockchain is that um, I, I think that Bitcoin, especially now in, in the current um, climate we're in now, it's getting a lot of, um, press and attention from financial markets. I mean, not quite yes. as much as it did a, few, a few years back, but it, it's going to it's going to be increasing. The trend is up, and so I, I do see. Um, I, I sort of divide in my I, I divvy up in my head the 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 interest in the, in, in the sector between people who are looking at it as a sort of a financial asset akin to gold, yeah, and just really see it as a speculate speculation and a way to make as much you know profit or investment alphas in as short a time as possible yeah given that you know the other financial markets in, a, in are sort of in a relatively precarious state at the moment uh, and on the other hand you've got the people who are in really understand the technology and are in it for the long haul and really see it as you know see its value as that it's 
ability to to facilitate sort of you know peer-to-peer exchange of value across mm-hmm. uh, decentralized network of participants so that's sort of the you know the original intent and purpose of it so there's a big difference between those two i mean if you're going to add a third of course then you would have to probably ask you would add the, the business community right. into that which is um some would say co-opted the technology which i, I don't quite agree with yeah but there is obviously huge utility um behind blockchain uh technology for for you know there's increasing numbers of biz, uh, business use cases being developed as we speak um thankfully a lot of the hype has died around which we can talk died out which we can talk about a little bit more later so, yeah yeah but i would say to answer your question uh, what is blockchain the first thing i do is i, I sort of you know make those distinctions in my head okay uh, and that it's really become something that is means many things to many people many people yeah it's, yeah i guess yeah, yeah it totally depends what lens you're looking at it from um but I, I think we can lay out what the principles are or the benefits of blockchain so it's what would you see as the main benefits and principles within blockchain yeah so i mean the to answer your question directly i mean what for me blockchain i think of it as you know an immutable um time stamp series of data that is um, distributed across the network and, and managed by a cluster of computers instead of one central authority. Right. So obviously all the nodes um, can verify the transactions so that the, the tr- you have that ability to distribute trust across the network uh, instead of having one keep- gatekeeper that authorizes all those transactions. Uh, and so there, because all the parties in a network, uh, which is, you know, there can be a group of people, a group of individuals, businesses, or um, even, you know, um, whole groups of, of, of chains of, of, of businesses. It obviously reduces the, the amount of friction that goes on in, in trans- transactions because you don't have all the authorization and reconciliation mechanisms. Yeah, yes, yeah, so the middlemen in between. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It, that whole um, disintermediation is one of the core, um, you know, business use cases um, for blockchain, but also one of the core. Um, use cases is for Bitcoin because Bitcoin, if you think about what what its, what its original purpose was in many people's eyes was just money, you know a transfer of value or money transfer problem. So you you wanted to have the ability to do transactions without a third party, which obviously is a way to to make it more efficient and reduce costs. And and you want to be able to do that faster than you did before. And now if you yeah. still try and carry out a, a banking transaction, which I tried to do the other day, stupidly enough. <laughs> the, char- the charges now, I mean, looking at, the, the, you know, seeing it from sort of the lens of someone who knows about how these these other, you know, digital currencies work. Yeah. The, the, bank, the, the banking fees are, that um, they get slapped onto international transactions are huge. And Terrible. they also take you know, over half a week to, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to execute. Up to, up to three days in some some countries. Yeah, exactly. no, I, I totally agree. I, I see it as the next level or next generation of the internet so the current i guess uh internet that we currently have is uh you know when you have when you transfer anything on the internet it's it's a digital copy whether it's a pdf whether it's an email whether it's a a powerpoint or data it's a digital copy whereas with blockchain it introduces the ability to uh, transfer digital scarcity um so it could be something such as money a deed yeah but you, you're transferring something which is unique um so i i think it has the potential to take the internet to a 
to a next level uh, and, and in some uh, cases uh, it's referred to as internet 3.0 but that may be hype rather than uh, reality so I guess we'll, we'll discuss that, that a little bit further. Um, so no, I agree you, yeah just in terms of um, social impact what, what do you see as the key benefits so I understand it from a technical perspective what impact can it potentially have on society? Okay, well, um, again, there I would probably start out by referencing what I said about the you know the different layers and the different interests yeah. um, and the different ways yeah. you can look at this technology. I, I think that a, a great way to look at it is that um, you know for the people who say that it doesn't have um, that much utility in the real world, yeah. uh, it's just a you know just a digital currency. Its intrinsic value is zero, whatever, um, so on and so forth. Uh, there's there's another important perspective i think that just goes beyond what mon money managers or you know hedge fund managers think about whenever bitcoin will rise to six figures and whatnot <laughs> and I, I think that that's probably one thing that's it, it's 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 sort of um neglected a little bit more a little bit more than it should be uh, and that is that you know bitcoin has been directly employed um for emergencies by like a lot of people around the world and I think we would all agree that like, if you see large groups of people resort, resorting to something that, you know, in an emergency and that thing that they're resorting to actually works to, mm. to um, solve a lot of their problems that they have, um, you know, in the immediate term, mm. that is a pretty good litmus test of its utility and its function, yeah. functionality, basically. Uh, and so if you look at places where, you know, it's being used in such a way, like in great examples, you know, Venezuela, where people's purchasing yeah. power has been you know decimated to the point of being worthless and so people are turning to bitcoin as a means of you know shoring up whatever purchasing power they might have still because the government has totally destroyed the currency and introduced um capital controls yeah so these individuals are basically making raw and direct use of of what the what bitcoin was really originally um conceived for um and so i think that is a that's a really really important point that that people need to really take on board those who are still on the fence about whether it has any value or not you know to give another example for example is um that i like to quote as iran i just posted about this today on social yeah, media yeah and how that is you know they've just announced they announced like it's a couple of weeks ago now but they made another announcement today about how they're already you know um, moving quite heavily into bitcoin yeah 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 uh, Exactly. Um, in order to circumnavigate the the sanctions, which obviously, you know, for for a long time now have have cut them out of the swift international banking system. Yeah, um, yeah, so they, you're totally right. Yeah, sorry, go on, go, go on, Jay. No, yeah. So, so they're they you know out of necessity because the, you know the real has been basically plummeting, and they've got skyrocket skyrocketing COVID nineteen cases. And there are all sorts of structural imbalances that are happening in the country as a result of not being able to um, transact. They've basically just said, okay, well, we have to find another way. Yes, we've negotiated trade agreements with um, European countries like Switzerland, um, special trading mechanisms that, that they've used, but it's, just, it's not enough. And so they've looked to Bitcoin as a potential solution there um, mm -hmm. against you know, um, centralized control of, 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 um, of, of money flows. So that's another example, you know, whether you agree with um, you know, the Iranian regime's intentions or not for, for, what <laughs> for what they're transacting in or not, in and out of, 
that is that that's probably a subject for another debate but i just think that yeah exactly the fact that using it and using it successfully has to be yeah. you know it, it has to be a bit of a um it's a bit of a sounding board for for the entire region i think and it, it will um spark fear in the hearts of those that are oh, yeah. you know, attempting to, to to maintain sort of you know u.s dollar hegemony um in that sense no 100%. so just from yeah. Sorry, go. From a pure Bitcoin point of view there, I think we can see that, you know, in, in, in cases of, say, in institutional government or even individual distress, uh, it already has the track record, actually, um, of, of, of it's, it has proven utility and, and it's, it's, it's happening right now. So I think um, that is one area that's slightly overlooked uh, as people can often get embroiled in these armchair debates about whether it has value and what its investment delta will be over the next decade and so on and so forth. I think it's important to stay, step out of one's um, comfort zone and one's bubble and look at where it's being deployed directly to um, sort of alleviate suffering, basically. Yeah, no, just to add to what you said, I mean, in 2020 alone, we've seen it used on the front line of the NSARS protest in Nigeria. We've seen it used yeah. in um, uh, Argentina, where Argentina has, you know, capital uh, has been constantly frozen over years uh, as part of the Coralita. We've seen it in Belarus, which is currently going through uh, its own turmoil. We we've seen it cases uh, just literally escalate all over the globe so it's something to really uh keep our eye on uh, as as it gets the case for bitcoin uh, as a tool for protest as well as uh to resolve emergencies it, it, it just gets bigger and bigger exactly uh and um, you know another you meant those are really good examples you mentioned another one is um, you know cyprus i, I read recently there's there's been a big uh uptick in, in bitcoin activity coming out of there right and it was only turkey less than as well. five years ago yeah turkey as well so i mean <laughs> yeah. it's hard it's hard not to it's hard yeah. not to find a place where where the the involvement isn't um increasing and i think this goes back to this idea that um you know it isn't a coincidence that you know bitcoin emerged in the wake of the financial crisis yeah and i think that i think the yeah. more people learn about it and the dig you the deeper you go which perhaps we can get into a little bit more and its relationship with gold perhaps in a second but it, it it was really desi almost designed like a as a political statement in that sense to 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 enable the individual to to um, uh, take you know ownership or control over their own financial futures. Mm. And I think that 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 is basically hardwired into the DNA of, the, of Bitcoin's protocols and you know so. Um, I, yeah, and it, does, it always reminds me of that quote from I think one of the Rothschilds that said, "Give me control of a nation's money, and I care not who makes the laws." <laughs> in, in, in it's every, so true it's so true in every situation where you see bitcoin um being deployed effectively it, it's it all comes back to um you know a form uh, a case of you know monetary uh, imbalance or mm. inflation or you know capital capital controls or what have you, whatever else so i think that you know for for, for the for, for a pure uh, demonstration of, of bitcoin use i think the examples that we've decided there are, are um, you know, they're, they're, they're basically stacking up day by day, multiplying. Yeah. So I just want us to turn our lens a little bit and just kind of look at uh, sort of Bitcoin and the macro picture. So we've already referenced gold already, but just, just you know, in terms of to just stimulate the conversation, we're seeing so much happen <laughs> in the macro space. I mean, the world's 
literally on fire at the moment. We have the Federal Reserve, central banks all over the world expanding their balance sheets through uh, quantitative easing and the printing of yeah. money. The money printers is going uh, wherever that meme is. Um, the, even the US Federal Reserve has just announced they will be doubling the rate of inflation over the next few years. Um, so add on top of that, COVID, uh, sorry, COVID, uh, currency devaluation, stimulus packages, and trade mm-hmm. wars. Yeah, it, we're just in a time of monetary expansion. And historically, gold has been that go-to, go-to asset uh, to hedge against monetary expansion by governments. But in the recent years, um, Gold, so in the recent years, Bitcoin has been baptized as gold 2.0 and digital gold. So, I just want to explain, explore the kind of differences, the cross section between gold and Bitcoin. Well, that's a great question. Uh, and again, I mean, that's we could speak 24 hours on that topic alone. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think let's just, let's just open yeah. up the door to that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that, um a good starting point really is to look at gold's history and and why we're seeing certain dynamics play out right now in the markets uh, with respect to gold, with respect to other capital markets, and and um, you know with respect with respect to Bitcoin now entering that picture as a as a real you know um, entity and competitor to the 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 old established order of um, you know stocks and bonds. So I mean, if we think about what gives money value, um, I mean. The, as the global reserve currency, um, the, the dollar actually isn't tied to anything of value uh, right now, no asset whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and, but this, I think for a lot of people who don't really know a lot about the, the history, uh, a lot about monetary history, it, it's not actually that long ago since some gold was um, pegged to gold. I mean, it was, yes. you know, it, the, it was only struck off the gold 1971, standard. I think it was. 90, exactly, yeah, 1971. Yep. Richard Nixon, yeah. Richard so. yeah. And so, uh, you know, in those days, up until that point, one ounce of gold was redeemable, uh, basically at a fixed value of, um, I think it was $35. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, here you get into the debate of, you know, Austrian economics versus um, Keynesianism and everything else. Um, however, um, of course, to expand the monetary supply, and some say it was just purely for, for political ends, for political goals, they had to remove it, as you say, in 1971. So, yeah. Um, so that was the point at which that the gold, uh, the dollar, the US dollar, excuse me, uh, became essentially a, fo- a floating currency or like a fiat currency. So to interrupt, uh, did, did, did you know that the pound sterling uh, was previously pegged to a, a pound of sterling? So you could actually exchange a pound sterling for a pound of sterling. I, I found that out yesterday, literally. Yeah, yeah, because I, I didn't I, know I, that. I, <laughs> I just I studied the history of precious metals for years. Uh, I, I found that out yesterday that you could actually go and exchange a note, a pound sterling note for a pound sterling. Sorry, I just had to share that. Go ahead, sorry, go no, ahead. absolutely. I, I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I did not I'm know actually that. that's actually given me a real boost that, you know, that we have that, you know, uh, that common knowledge now, because I mean, a lot of people don't know that, um, I, know, I guess some Great. of the youngsters around today will probably think that it's named after a football player but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it really is um you, all the old coins used to be minted they used to be sterling silver which i think is 92.5 percent silver yeah uh and even if you look if you go around antique markets or uh, you know 
not even necessarily antiques, even things that are produced today, can you know, decorative items, things in the mantelpiece or candlestick yeah. holders. A lot of them are, you know, um, sterling silver, so they actually have real value. And mm. you know, back in the day, um, when it was all about you know shillings and sixpence, that it, it, it was all the coins were, as you say, sterling silver. Uh, and it was exactly the same um, in the U.S. with, with gold uh, up until 1971. And and the point is really, since then the the dollar's value has declined um, immeasurably. I think over 95 percent. Yeah. Actually, like 97% or more. Uh, and also in that, in that same time, gold has gone from $35 an ounce to what it is today, uh, eight, between 18 and $1,900 an ounce. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why gold obviously seen against a hedge, um, a hedge against inflation and has largely been shunned by the financial mainstream because it's seen as something that is essentially a lump of, of rock that's I think famously Warren Buffett said it's dug out of a, um, out of the ground, out of a hole in the ground in one place on, in the world, um, refined and then st stuck in another hole in the ground in, in the form of a vault. He's <laughs> <laughs> changed his tune on gold recently though, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah well, he has. Yeah, he's been yeah, forced to. Company well. banking um, stocks, yeah. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't, you know, obviously doesn't provide any yield like bonds typically do. Uh, and, you know, as a result, it's the most negatively correlated asset class to the, to the stock market. And so it, it's, it's seen as an inflation hedge. But gold is not just that, because, you know, if you look at the, even the recent history of gold, for example, in the 1990s, we had inflation running very high at the mm -hmm. end of the 80s and 90s. Um, the, the gold price didn't actually increase that much. It stayed relatively flat. Um, and, you know, likewise, uh, more recently, I think between 2005 and 2011, uh, the gold price went all the way from $400 an ounce all, and rocketed up to $1,600, $1,700. And that was during a period of relatively stable inflation. Oh, wow. So it, it isn't always a very a clean, um, a, you know, a crystal clear or clean cut case. Uh, I, uh, and that brings me on to the point uh, that's probably more important, which is that it's also, it's prime, one of its primary um, qualities is really also a hedge against not just inflation, but systemic risk. Mm -hmm. So that means real failures, like a, fa a failure of another financial intermediary or network, um, you know, like a sovereign default, like we've seen in Lebanon recently, these things still happen and they're probably gonna increase in frequency. Uh, like a, a real disaster scenario, like in the Weimar Republic when you had, or in Z Zimbabwe or Venezuela when you have hyperinflation. Yeah. Um, though, those, those are the sorts of events where gold really, um, you know, shoots up in value is because it's to yeah. protect people against like things, you know, like catastrophes. And lo and behold, what, what have we had in 2020? We've had a major, major cat catastrophe. Yeah. But apparently nobody saw coming. It came from left field. I'm not really sure why, because I think, You've probably heard that I think you know under Bush and previous administrations here as well, Obama. they actually had a significant Obama as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, they had they had a significant amount of um, pandemic <laughs> warning, um, <simulation laughs> yeah. planning. Yeah. So we're, I'm not really I'm not really sure what happened to that. But um, <laughs> the, the point is that these are these are the sorts of um, you know social and, and um, economic circumstances in which gold tends to perform very 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 well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so recently what's happened is that we've seen, all of a sudden we've seen Bitcoin enter the fray. And as I said before, it wasn't really taken seriously. Um, but as its value increased, I think more and more people with, you know, um, interest to protect have seen that it might be something that 
has similar qualities to gold. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you would agree that we've all heard the the arguments against Bitcoin that oh well, it doesn't have any intrinsic value. It it is um, basically not real because it's it, it just is um, an entry on a ledger. Uh, yes. So what if, if if it's distributed around millions of nodes around the world? Mm-hmm. It's still there's still nothing tangible about it. Um, of, of course, those same people conveniently overlook the, overlook the fact that central banks are now just um, you know, engaging in massive ledger entries, all you know, to uh, engage in massive li- liquidity pumping and to keep their own economies uh, yeah, afloat. Hundred percent. Yeah. But the, these are all arguments that we've heard. It, you know, it's not doesn't have any uh, no value. It's um, it, it's you know we know that it has very very low transaction speed. So it's it's for its use case as an, you know as a mass adoption in terms of everyday transactions has hasn't really come to fruition because the um, the TPS, the transactions per seconds, are simply too low, uh, which is why you had things like Bitcoin Cash and um, mm. you know, the Lightning Network to try and speed things up. Yeah, but um, I, I think we, that's all good and well making those criticisms. But on the you know on the other hand, people again, I go back to the point that you know Nakamoto set up the the um, the, the Bitcoin in the wake of the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And not only that, he you know he hardwired into the DNA of um, of um, Bitcoin's blockchain are protocols that are closely linked and even mimic the supply fundamentals of gold. Yeah. So you know, not only is it, is there an inbuilt scarcity in Bitcoin. Yeah. So for example, it's twenty it's twenty one million, and you know we're pretty much in the clear that that is the ceiling on 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 total supply. Yeah. Um, but it's also a question of um, uh, it matching gold, so what they call the stock to flow ratio, okay. which is um, basically, the, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the new supply rate over total supply, basically. Yeah. And so I looked into the numbers on this, and currently I think it, it would take approximately 58 years to produce the, like, the total uh, above stock of available gold if it were mined at, cur- uh, if it were mined at current rates. Uh, and interestingly, uh, Bitcoin's annual su- supply rate, which I think is about 1.7 now, uh, w- will be 1.7 after the next halving. It's actually also close to being 58 as well. So mm-hmm. just to put that into perspective, that means that be- be- as gold's stock to flow ratio is higher than any other metal, metal commodity in the world, um, it is now, you know, Bitcoin is now on, you know, on the edge of, you know, matching that that sort of scarcity ratio. So all these product, all these um, design elements and protocols are actually built into the blockchain, which kind of give it that um, monetary, those monetary properties uh, that determine its scarcity and in a way its value. So yes, it, 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 it does um, perform well as a store of value. It's not performing very well in terms of everyday transactions. Yeah, but in the same way, you you'd be hard pressed to go and buy a Big Mac with a with a lump of gold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that doesn't really Bar work too gold. well either. So exactly. So in that sense, the, no the sense. two have def- definitely a lot more similarities than, than differences. Yeah. So I mean, so we know gold is hard money, but Bitcoin is also hard money. But it also has yeah. um, improved characteristics such as portability, divisibility. On top of it, do you? ever see a world where bitcoin eats up some of gold market share um i've heard the term of gold uh, sorry bitcoin being called a 
gold killer. <laughs> so do, do you see that? Uh, so uh, uh, just to look at some stats, actually, um, Bitcoin is roughly two point five percent of gold's market cap, and that's based on a three hundred billion sorry three hundred billion uh, market cap. And I think the market cap for gold is currently around twelve thirteen trillion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, even a move up to ten percent of gold is fantastic for any bitcoin holder but do you ever see do you see a world where um bitcoin eats up part of gold's market share uh that is an excellent question um and what i would say to that is um i i don't really see that as something that's going to happen in the distant future i i really see that something that, that, that's happening right now oh right okay um and there's a lot of um, data in, you know, in the financial press and the investment press that's come out that's saying that, you know, there are large moves um, into into Bitcoin, um, particularly looking at From the gold bucks? high net worth segment. Uh, I mean, some of these people will be gold bucks simply because what what you're looking at here is not necessarily the fact that they're moving. In, you know, they're just they're necessarily moving from switching from Bitcoin to uh, sorry from gold to Bitcoin. This is the fact that the, the, the reason cited a lot of the times for investing in Bitcoin is that it, you know, obviously it clearly has, you know, significant appreciation value. Yeah. But also people are, you know, this narrative of digital gold is, you know, it's, it, it's stuck. Um, I, you know, I always laugh about all those pictures that I see in, in, in the Financial Times or other news outlets where they always depict um, Bitcoin. As a, as a gold coin, which obviously couldn't be further from that. <laughs> uh, which I, I always find that quite ironic that they choose the yeah. one image that it, it couldn't yeah. be further from that, but it, that's always the image that, that you see in the mainstream press, in all press for that matter. But, you know, the evidence suggests that it's already happening. So, for example, a survey that was released by um, a big investment house, um, I think 2019, um, showed that um, over... 60, I think it was 67% of high net worth individuals uh, see um, themselves moving into Bitcoin in the next two to three years. Uh, it doesn't necessarily state that that will be, uh, you know, at gold's expense necessarily. Yeah. But the moves are there. Uh, the surveys have said that over half of millennials now feel much more comfortable or, or at least more educated um, um, with cryptocurrencies um, in general and Bitcoin in particular, insofar as investment goes, over that's gold. That's huge data on stats. No, that's really, really exactly all your trends to to call out there. Yeah, and uh, so I think this this is happening now. Um, this is not good. It, it is at some point going to um, take over some of gold's market share. Um, nobody really has a crystal ball, so we, it's impossible yeah. to say to what degree that will take shape and how quickly it will occur. Uh, and right now we're, you know, we're not comparing in any way, you know, apples with apples in the sense that, you know, um, we're comparing an asset class that has a track record of, you know, over four millennia. Of, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, of, 6,000 uh, years versus 12 exactly. years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or yeah, however many thousand years versus, yeah. um, you know, just a handful of years. Um, so, um, but it is happening. Uh, and traditional multi-asset portfolios are rebalancing. Um, I just read something the other day, I think it was in Bloomberg, where um, even you know a small uh, rebalancing of one percent. So, for example, if you if you created a multi-asset portfolio in July of 2010, for example, mm -hmm. uh, consisting of 49 and a half percent equities, 49 and a half percent bonds, and one percent Bitcoin, uh, 
you'd have basically you would have realized an average an average annualized return of 104 percent um in today's terms wow. so what, basically that you know the translation there is just a tiny allocation uh, of bitcoin uh, is you know is um yields a huge amount and can yeah. already do you know basically has a disproportionate impact over yeah. the performance of a, of a portfolio and uh, 10 years is not even necessarily a long-term view on this no, it's so yeah so it's, it, it's happening yeah. It, it's happening yeah okay right so just changing our, our viewpoint for a second yeah. let's, let's talk about bitcoin and regulation um so what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, reg- uh, I mean, this is a this is a huge area, especially for your line of work as well. I mean, just in terms of to call out sort of recent what I've heard. Uh, so the, the chairman of the SEC, Jim Clayton, recently announced that Bitcoin would not be regulated as a, um, sorry, would not be regulated. Sorry, my <laughs> my laptop's just frozen. Hold on, bear me a second. So would not be regulated as a security, but it would be regulated as a payment mechanism and storage value. So I don't know really what that means, but <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you see as the regulatory environment for Bitcoin at the moment? Because the world is trending towards digital. So yeah, yeah. What, what do you see is, as happening? It's almost impossible to keep up. Um, with the regulation. I mean, it just is the volume of information and we about this in, in the past um, in our previous conversations that you could spend all day, every day just on regulation alone yeah. and it, what you, you'd actually need a large team to, to cover all the bases. Yeah. Um, and it just, but, but I think interestingly, it's just another classic, for me, another classic case of the governments and the regulatory authorities just playing catch up. Because they're they're always behind the curve when it comes to you know um, technological innovation, um, but the difference in in the past with tech innovation, I think, uh, uh, versus what's happening now, is that um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and indeed blockchain, it's not just about the technology. It's it's about the fact that it it's like this curious mix of a um, novel you know mix of technologies that Bitcoin is. Yeah. It's, it's a very it's a very interesting ingredients ingredients that's kind of um, produced a novel product. Um, on so top unique. of that, it, it, yeah. it also represents, you know, something almost an, exes- an existential threat to the to governments and, the, and to regulatory bodies because they ultimately need to be in control of the monetary supply. Mm. Um, so there, all this. Um, uh, the the constant flip flopping and vacillating over what to do over regulation, I think, really is, is indicative mm. of the fact that they've they realize that yes, okay, we've slept on this actually. <laughs> the genie's out of the bottle, yeah. and we're really not sure what to make of this thing. Is it a commodity? Is it gold? Is it it's a currency? Is it yeah. a security? Uh, they, they, it's it's quite difficult for people to really wrap their heads around this. Um, and obviously, the IP the ICO frenzy. Um, of a, a yeah. few years back, um, did a lot to to sort of confound things even further because you know people link that to to the sort of the Wall Street um, IPO pump and dump schemes and everything yeah. else. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think people really saw it as a as a security, but of course we know we now know it's not um, a security. It's not really any of those things. It doesn't fit neatly into the, any of those categories. But of course, um, the regulatory bodies can only try and 
do that. They try, they have to try and pigeonhole it in a sense because to erect a whole new series uh, of of regulations around this this one thing, um, which is still unproven in their case, is not a you know a path that they want to go down. I think at this stage. But to, to answer your question directly, uh, yeah, I mean that, that I mean that I read that also um, that the um, I think it's the, the the Senate. I think two bills have been released. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got some notes here. What was it the Securities Clarity Act or something like that? Right. And so they're they're basically saying that yes, okay, we're it's not a it's not a security. So what we're going to do now is we're going to regulate um, Bitcoin. Um, the the SEC will basically drop it, and it's going to go over to the um, the commodities regulation guys, which is the CFTC. Uh, and I think so. The, the goal for them there is just to is yeah, just to bring about more oversight. Uh, they say of trading venues and um, you know Bitcoin, Ether, commodities, and everything else, so they can get like more oversight of, and and track what's going on um, in in the space. But really, what it also represents is that they're they're, they're trying to. Um, you know, um, bring about a certain degree of regulatory harmonization um, mm-hmm. over all the over all these dis- disparate things that they can't seem to quite you know grasp. Nailed down. So there. it's, all, it's it, it, yeah, it nailed down exactly. So it, it mm-hmm. is also an expression of an attempt to be able to, to do that. And yeah. we we've seen you know the last few months have been replete with examples of things that you know they've had to sort of step in at the last minute and do you know, take drastic and draconian action uh, almost to make a, an example of certain exchanges. Because again, it just shows that they're, 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 they're very much behind the curve. But yeah. the, 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 the space is, is, is really key. I mean, it is, it is evolving at a incredible rate. Um, and I think that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, a, you know, it's like a, five-headed monster once you cut one head off you still got four but then the other one might grow back and it might grow some more still yeah it, it is crazy so, um, very yeah. interesting yeah so good i'd like you know i'd love to know yeah we i think we spoke can you hear me no sorry i just lost you first hello no go ahead can you hear me yes i i wanted to actually ask you a question about what you thought of the the um arthur hayes and bitmex fiasco of like a month ago um, i thought that was a good that was a good example of uh you know a yeah. uh, an exchange maybe gone um you know gone awry and the the regulations step the regulatory authority stepping in to try and take you know to exercise some authority and to re-establish control over yeah, something i mean clearly already lost control of yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know the facts. I mean, I know high level what's going on in a case. And so my understanding is uh, BitMEX set up in another jurisdiction to obviously um, circumvent uh, the SEC and sort of reach of all the regulatory bodies within the US. Um, so yeah. my understanding, they're, they're all above board. And so it seems to me... Um, they're looking to for a scapegoat. I think BitMEX has been uh, doing quite well from a, a derivatives perspective, and yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's really a bit of uh, bullying uh, from the regulatory bodies. But I, to be quite honest, I don't know the details of the case in terms of what BitMEX has been doing, what's legal, what's what, what's not legal. Uh, but it does seem like there's a number of organisations doing exactly what BitMEX has been doing. I think Ripple, um, they're trying to leave the US at the moment as well. They've um, 
apparently leaving their office in New York and looking for somewhere to set up either in the UK or Singapore. So um, there's no clarity. There's no clarity. So as long as there's uh, uh, no clarity, then there is obviously loopholes and there's a lot of grey areas and then um, regulatory bodies can can, uh, catch or hold to account whoever they like. So, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. No, I think that's it. I I do think that there's, um, I mean, you said before that um, there's no clarity and it's difficult to know. I I think the pace of evolution is such that it's it's difficult for anyone to know. I think even those in the space, it's, you know, itself, um, exactly what the rules are. Um, uh, What what really interests me, the reason I asked about BitMEX is that what really interested me is that... um, as far as I understand, and again, I, I don't know the the exact extent or nature of the the AML and KYC violations yeah. that they committed. Yeah. Uh, but what it really interests me about that case, they never actually took possession of of, of, of US dollars on the exchange. That's my. So in other words, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so in other words, they, they actually created a an algorithmic or synthetic US dollar. And so you would basically ah. deposit Bitcoin, Bitcoin and withdraw Bitcoin without a single fiat dollar ever being touched or deposited ah, or whatever else. Okay. Yeah. They don't and like so, clever people like that, do they? <laughs> They're well, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> what, what's interesting about that is that, and this goes back to, you know, the question that you asked previously about, you know, money and, you know, what really is money and gold, et cetera, is that as far as I'm aware, this is like the first time that the, the federal government in the U.S. has gone after an exchange, or even yeah. a, you know, crypto derivatives exchange. In, the, in this case, that actually never has taken custody of the U.S. dollar. So that, for me, that sets a very important precedent. Um, yeah, big time. You know, in terms of the regulations of this market, and not only that, it's also in a way a tacit admission on the part of the U.S. regulatory authorities that Bitcoin is a form of money. Because otherwise, you know, what what are, you know what are they railing against here exactly? So, I think that's the it, it's a very interesting, it's yeah. a very interesting, uh, um, uh, you know, um, case study. Yeah, I, I it's yeah, I, I agree. It's totally interesting, and we, we, I guess for regulatory bodies and and society as a whole, we are treading waters that we we haven't trodden before. Bitcoin is, as I think I've said this metaphor to you before, is like a um, a duck-billed platypus, which is one of these freak creatures, which has features from other animals. It's got a, <laughs> a bill of a duck. It's got the skin of the otter. It's got uh, the web feet of I don't know some other animal. So, it, like Bitcoin is in some respects is a security. In some respects is a property. In some respects is you know it's so many different things. And so obviously the regulatory bodies just don't know how to deal with it. But in saying that, in the last six months, what we have seen, we have seen uh, organizations such as MicroSailers, MicroStrategy purchase half a billion's worth of Bitcoin. And that's not even including its own personal stature of um, 100 million uh, uh, worth of Bitcoin, which is apparently gone up to a billion now, given the price movement. Uh, but we're also seeing Jack Dorsey Square, Fidelity, um, uh, Kraken, I think, is being given sort of a chartered license to open a bank. Um, so I, I see a lot of these, um, especially um, MicroStrategy's transaction, is huge in, in terms of building the credi- credibility and a protective moat around Bitcoin. 
uh, the more sort of investment, uh, the more sort of public companies that that purchase it, I think it kind of fends off the the uh, regulators. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, <laughs> basically, I, just, I completely agree. I mean, I, I, it, it is almost a case now of, you know, I think the the um, the doom and gloom and the naysayers are, you know, gradually, um, you know, falling on hard times. Yeah. Quiet <laughs> Mr. Because, Rabini, uh, where are you? <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, he I like to I like to sort of cite, you know, single him out as an example. But, you know, at least he has had the you know, he's he's manned up and basically said, yeah, well, yeah. there might be something that I've missed. So yeah. um, I think that's an important uh, thing to be able to do. <laughs> um, and, you know, what, at this at this stage, I think you know what choice do you really have? Yeah. Um, it's a question of um, you know old world old world thinking and a new paradigm. Yeah. I think that that, yeah. uh, that he and many others are guilty of. But I think you're completely correct. I mean, it's a it's, it is a case of if you can't beat them, join them. And uh, a lot of these companies, it's no longer just a bunch of people sitting in their bedroom, um, you know, making transactions or whatever else the big corporates are getting involved and they're, you know, they're are, they, are, are they taking notice? Are they sitting up to big corporates um, from a McKay research perspective? Are you seeing that? Well, in the data? I, I think, I think it's clear that, um, you know, looking at various sites like the Bitcoin treasuries, for, for example, they, they do a great job in compiling a lot of data about how much these companies hold is that, you know, they're basically put, putting their money where their mouth is, right. um, you know, buying that volume of, of, um, of Bitcoin is significant. It really is, you know, it speaks to the fact that, you know, I think we were discussing before that Bitcoin is fastly approaching its all-time highs. Yeah. Uh, and though, you know, I know that you're not supposed to say these three words um, or four words even, you know, this time it's different. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, because you know there was always the, the the famous last words of you yeah, know before of pre-market crash yeah 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 um but this it, this time it, it is different this time because of the 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 activity that is pouring into these markets and i wrote about this um in, in uh the f first piece that i ever did on in, on the actual institutional interest of the markets like a, about a, just over a year ago and in those days, it was the you know the, it was more or less towards the beginning of um, trying to get an ETF approved. It was the I think the mm. Winklevoss brothers and everything else. Mm. Mm. Uh, and obviously, the, the, they failed. Um, not that they've given up, but since then, there's there's been many investment houses um, that have tried, and you know there's been successive uh, attempts that have all failed. But I think everybody who's following the space knows that it's just it's a question of when, not if. You know, and it will happen. And and once once the ETF gets gets approved, then that is almost like a gateway and will catalyze um, you know institutional investments into the marketplace. Because once you can start saying this is a you know a certified you know a certified and regulated financial product that is supposed to have underlying um, you know custody of the of the asset, i.e., Bitcoin, in the same way that say you know a lot of the like GLD or SLV has um, underlying cut or supposed to have at least underlying custody to the precious metal, then that is going to um, set off a wave of investment activities uh, from investment houses, from hedge funds, um, from, you know, uh, from, from pension providers just across the board. Um, and we can see every day um, all the infrastructure and all the announcements are, you know, building up around this, you know, almost leading up 
to this big announcement. So it's almost like a, a steady crescendo or a drum roll into that ETF announcement. Yeah. Um, no, you, I, you mentioned a, you mentioned yeah. a few good examples, like Kraken, for example, getting a banking yeah. license. Yeah. That, that, that's a huge, a huge development. Big. Um, and and th there have been many, many others. So. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you buy a, a share of a public co uh, company which has a significant amount of Bitcoin in its treasury, is that technically an ETF? <laughs> uh, no. makeshift ETF. well i mean if, you've got some exposure I, there wouldn't you yeah yeah yes exactly yeah so i i i you could say that that, that might be a way that some people might be able to play that as a proxy yeah uh, i i still think though that's going to be insignificant um to people wanting to actually invest in oh yeah 100 in, in bitcoin vehicles um but I, I think you raise a really important point there and that is um, this issue around custody, because going back to what yeah. we were saying about gold, um, there's a saying in, in the gold market that if you don't hold it, you don't own it. That if you um, say you buy a few shares of, of GLD uh, or SLV, you're supposed to have um, uh, uh, you're supposed to have legal title to the underlying asset. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what you think that you have, but in fact, um, you, you don't necessarily because it's just um, you know it's uh, it's, it's unallocated, put it that way. So it, it just all goes into a pot and, and it's divided up by, you know, by the shares. So the, the total holdings of metal are divided by the, the number of shares that they have that they, that they issue against those holdings. So it's a little bit like um, your, your, your bank branch. If everybody turned up and tried to withdraw all their money at the same time, of course, yeah, we all know what would happen. They'd be good for about 10% of it, whatever the, the, um, the fractional reserve or the capital requirements are. Uh, yeah. and, Beyond that, the doors would close, and that would be it. Uh, and uh, of course, the whole system is built in such a way that they they depend and rely on the fact that that won't happen. And so that is the same that thing is, with um, yeah. with the in a way with commodity um, ETFs. That if, if everybody tried to redeem uh, and take delivery on their gold at the same time, uh, everybody's rushing to the exits at the same time. Of course, the exit stays the same size, so not, not everybody's, <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to be able to get out. I like that one. <laughs> uh, and it, yeah. it's the same thing. With, I think people are clocking onto that fact yeah. now with with um, Bitcoin that there's been a number of announcements um, made over the, over the past few weeks. I mean, the mm. biggest one, I think you'd agree, is probably PayPal. Oh, um, we forgot about that one. Yeah, cool. That's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that Huge. a lot of people were really happy about that, and I think that it people were getting excited about it, saying, "Oh, it's going to make it's going to make you know internet money even easier." And you know, mm. now I can have my I can you know have my PayPal account. And I can actually you know send and take ownership of Bitcoin. But I think those people who know a little bit how these systems work and actually who and how these uh, custodial relationships work know full well um that that it's not all that it's 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 um you know made out to be mm. and from from my perspective you know I, for many many years i followed um these you know the, the debates in the gold market about what actually can, constitutes a gold investment like how can you ensure that you you're able to benefit from the the um of, of, for holding the the asset in the first place and, and all the properties mm. that it offers like we discussed before inflation hedge systemic risk well it turns out that there are actually not that many options. It's the idea you hold it yourself in your hand and store it somewhere in your sock drawer or in, in a <laughs> vault, uh, or you, ha you have to go through a series of like, you know, do a bit of research about secure gold vaulting so solutions that offer 
actually you know allocated accounts where you actually have legal title to the gold but even then it's still not in your hands you, there's still maybe uh, an element of systemic risk where you might be redeemable in currency not in gold mm-hmm. uh, and i think people will start to realize that with bitcoin it's the same thing mm-hmm. if you know if you don't if it's not your keys then it's not your bitcoin uh, so with, with with um paypal in look and feel like you have Bitcoin, like with um, Revolut and other companies like that. The reality is if you don't actually don't have your, your private keys, then it's, it's not actually yours. Not your Bitcoin. And there, yeah. the, and there, there are, there are a, a, you know, any number of um, counterparty failures that could happen in between. Yes. That could result yes. in the loss of your, of your asset. So um, I think that that's probably important to bear in mind. And that goes back again. That's, that's another commonality in a way between um, Bitcoin and, uh, and uh, gold, for example. So just quickly jumping back to the sort of the conversation around sort of wealth management, how, how is uh, McKay Research working with uh, wealth managers to kind of navigate their way through all of the murk and the mire of, of, of the, this space? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, right now what I'm doing is um, I'm from our conversation today. I mean, it's clear that this market is so, um, fast-paced, uh, yeah. multi-faceted, multi-dimensional. Any any word that you want to, you know, adjective you want to throw at it, it, it's that. Relative, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And socials <laughs> as well. Um, and the issue that a lot of smaller um, wealth managers, are RIAs and IFAs, have is that um, they're just not able to keep keep pace with the, you know, the shifting kaleidoscope of factors that, that yeah. are driving the evolution uh, of the marketplace. Uh, and it's gone to the point where you could say in 2016, 2017, and even perhaps up to 2018, it, 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 you know, it could be looked upon as acceptable to bury your head in the sand and hope that the problem would go away. <laughs> Somehow the, all the massive nodes would crash and the whole thing would just like evaporate <laughs> in air. But I think yeah. it's become clear now to these people that, you know, no, that's not going to happen. Not going a, away. B, exactly. And B, I have a fiduciary responsibility to, to understand the market and to be able to basically advise the clients on its merits uh, as an investment. Um, and, you know, so that obviously they're not unduly exposed to, you know, potential risk factors that, that could come from investing it in the first place. So where I'm stepping in to, to, to help is by produ- providing um, basically a cross-section of uh, analyses, uh, it, very much 360 degrees um, at every level of analysis, uh, macro, uh, meso, mm-hmm. uh, and, and micro as well. So you know, what, are these, what is the individual, the individual doing in terms of um, storing Bitcoin? Um, yeah. where, where, is the, where is Bitcoin being de- deployed exactly for what purpose? What you know on the meso level, of course, you've got the 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 the, um, um, the level of organization and company. What are the organizations doing? How do they shift? How are they shifting to um, to respond to the markets, both in terms of you know setting up new um, ventures, uh, exchanges, companies that are involved in you know Bitcoin custody or trading activity or whatever else. Uh, and then obviously on the on the macro level, you've got the you know the institutional investors and then the governments and the regulatory authorities who are who are. Again, dealing with these um, constantly shifting factors, so it, it's a lot to 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 keep abreast of, and I'm helping companies uh, do that basically in a in a succinct way, in a bias-free way, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that you know saves them an enormous amount of time and effort. Because I I've been in the markets, so I've got context from other markets as well, so I can speak yes. their language, um, and um, I it's sort of independent. 
in the sense that I don't have any commercial relationships with any exchanges or any financial products that tout Bitcoin in any way. I think that last point cannot be under stress, given we all know that you know this is a um, sector and an industry that is just so full of people who have you know something to sell you um, and have vested interest in everything else. So yeah. independence, I think, is key, and I think I know that that's something that's that's, that's valued by my clients. So fantastic, cool. All right, so let's just jump back to um, blockchain because obviously that is the title is blockchain hype. So I just want to talk about <laughs> I just want to talk about blockchain in terms of real world applications. Now, you know, 20, 2016, 2017, blockchain was everywhere. You know, it was, you know, everybody was a blockchain uh, sort of uh, salesman in terms of uh, what what blockchain could do in terms of world solutions. Have we moved on from where we were in 2016, 2017? Um, what are the real solutions that we are starting to see come out which are underpinned by blockchain? Or are we in fact seeing anything? So I just want to really kind of go back to blockchain. What, what are we seeing in, in terms of blockchain solutions? Is there a killer app on blockchain yet? Well, um, that's a really good question. Uh, uh, it, obviously it's slightly different and, you know, I. Going back to my you know, my early answers in this interview, I think that for sure it really helps to think of it in that way. That you know, what are what are the actual block blockchain uh, applications that are that are um, you know prov- proving their worth in the business world and yeah. in manufacturing and industry and whatever else. Uh, I think probably to pr- to preface any just uh, conversation on that, um, I always go back to that. I think it's Roy Amara who said that you know it, it, innovative technologies they always tend to be. Um, overestimated in the short term, but underestimated in the long term. Okay. Uh, and I really think that's true, again, in the case of blockchain. Um, and I, in my personal opinion, I think that the fact that all the hype has sort of dissipated and died down um, over the last year and a half is, is definitely a positive thing. Right. I agree. Um, because, yeah, it's basically, as you say, um, it was a lot of people trying to sell you a story um, everything was um, blockchain. We are the, you know, we're basically reinventing, reinventing the wheel and, in in, you know, name your industry um, by using a blockchain um, solution, uh, whatever else. But, you know, now I think the, it, it's become increasingly clear that the, the failure rate um, has been extraordinarily high uh, yeah. For, for, yeah. For, for, for startups. Um, I think, uh, you know, I read in, in a study that Deloitte did maybe a year and a half or two years ago. They, they they came out with a figure that of all the blockchain um, startups that that uh, that have gone online for the last you know in the last three years I think there was a failure rate of around ninety percent. Um, and what uh, what what was um, sounded out as the major drivers behind the failures? Around the failures, uh, well, uh, I think um, really uh, trying to come up with two things: technological solutions um, in search of a problem. Uh, so uh, that's a, a bit of, become a bit of a cliche of sorts, but I think in the case of blockchain, it's, it's absolutely absolutely true that <laughs> the, the amount of you know VC um, activity in the space has sort of skyrocketed at around 2017, 2018. Yeah, huge. Uh, a lot of people were, were cashing in on that, and it's a little you know I liken it a little bit to artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, I heard a really interesting interview by an AI expert recently where they basically said, well. 
all the stuff that you hear about artificial intelligence, yes, it exists as a technology, but all those people saying they use it, they don't really actually use it. <laughs> it it's, a, it's the furthest thing from AI. They have like a few things about on machine learning that they, they basically scale up and, and overhype and, and sell this you know, promise to a prospective buyer of um, you know, coming up with a new innovation or solution that's basically built around AI, which is far from the case. Yeah, I think what we had in the blockchain space again was, you know, very very similar to that. That a lot of these mm. companies, if you actually looked um, under the bonnet, so to speak, there they, there wasn't actually a lot there that was, you know, mm. a, a, an integrated blockchain solution that solved an actual problem. It was instead using some form of a database, or that you you were cryptographically hashing. Mm -hmm. uh, from a database and calling that blockchain. Uh, there were all sorts of shenanigans that, that <laughs> uncovered that people were Excel using. spreadsheets. Did it. Uh, yes, <laughs> to, 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 to attract the interest of, of yeah. um, the yeah. And I, I think now what, we're seeing, now what we're seeing is that the, you know, the real world use cases are being explored like in, in a lot more depth. Mm. They're going you know, beyond proof of concept and actually trying to come you know, you know, round two, you know, produ production grade um, solutions in right. know, across quite a few different industries. So that, you know, that is, I think that's promising. A lot of people uh, say that that is, um, it, it's evidence that blockchain was all hype to begin with and it, mm -hmm. there's no value to it. I, I disagree. Um, you know, I, I take this, the view that it was necessary for that to happen, <clears> but the, you know, the market did what the market should do, which is flush out the excess. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the viable companies that weren't viable are now um, doing something else. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's, that, that, that's sort of the setup. Um, I mean, I, I think you also asked me about, you know, what am I personally interested in? Or like, what, I've, what have I been tracking in terms of blockchain? Yeah, yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, a pro a projects, whether it's agriculture, supply chain, insurance even 3d printing what, what what's happening in the space yeah there, there's a lot um going on um you know one there's a few that that i like um one of them is um there's you know to do more with the social impact and we were talking before about the you know the bitcoin is a social good well of course you know the same can be can be said of some of the blockchain projects as well so there's one that i like um called agriledger which is basically um a uh, framework of uh, integrated services that um, the, the, the idea is to, to, to even out the playing field for for farmers and cooperatives. Okay. Um, and so obviously, as you know, like, you know, a significant amount of the food that ends up on our tables over here in the West and elsewhere yeah. know, comes from, you know, much poorer countries, uh, sure. you know, and often, you know, that um, picked by, by, by women as well um, in yeah. often in, in very difficult and precarious circumstances. So, you know, I think the, the idea behind it is that, you know, you've got to work towards the, 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 buy, the buying and selling and sharing of things um, to, to, to level out the, the playing field using a blockchain solution. So you've got basically, you know, cryptographic data that's produced via this, you know, the, this application of, of smart contracts. And so, for example, I, you know, I read recently that, you know, they launched, um, you know, a blockchain ecosystem in the Caribbean. Uh, that was specifically designed around, um, you know, uh, Haitian farmers. Oh wow! And so what that did, what they did was just basically 
trying to add transparent transparency to the supply chain, the the agri supply chain, uh, to to create like a fairer pricing mechanism uh, okay. for the suppliers and the retailers in the region. And so what it does is that the the the, the platform assigns um, all the farmers who who are enrolled in the system they get assigned with the digital ID number. Okay. Um, and so they get basically gives them access to the supply chain and access to the financial services, logistics, the insurance and, and, and other services as well. And uh, through that, the, you know, through, the, through that system, the, the farmers can tokenize their products and, and so have access to peer-to-peer dealing as well. So there you have a situation where the platform uses blockchain to, to lower friction uh, so to speak, uh, yeah. in, in the overall supply chain to what I say is to revitalize the value chain because often people use those, the, the, the term supply chain and value chain interchangeably, but they're not in this case because, you know, if you make the supply chain more efficient, of course, then you can, as I say, you can revitalize the, the value chain and, and redistribute the value chain in, in a ways that are fair and more equitable. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, you know, um, making it, possible to to link up producers of the agri products themselves to to the actual end user in ways that weren't possible before so i mean that 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 has real potential that that is something that has legs that is something that has um real world potential and that also is something that i think we can all look at as an example of once again technology can be used it is a blunt instrument it can be used for for bad it can be used for selfish purposes but it can also be used for uh, you know, expanding cooperatives for social, for doing and to, you know, level the playing field in ways that weren't necessarily possible before. So that's one example of, of the, of agribusiness. Um, one area that I've been looking at closely as part of my um, deep dive into the, you know, the fourth industrial revolution industry 4.0 space okay. has been 3d printing. Um, right. There's been a lot going on in, in that space as well. Although I wouldn't say that anything has got, you know, is yet at the level of being production grade. There's been many, many um, uh, of projects that have that have been very interesting indeed. Um, and in context, I mean, the 3D printing space is it, obviously it's a highly disruptive technology. Yeah. And um, like the union of being able to 3D print something in blockchain is becoming uh, increasingly important from a, you know, a financial and economic standpoint from the um, original equipment manufacturers, simply because of the decline of the traditional print industry with mm. you know, the move to, to digital. Mm. So a, a lot of the um, classic, the big OEMs like um, HP, for example, or Xerox, or, yeah. they, they found themselves in a situation where they've had to pivot slightly and they've actually deployed um, significant resources into, um, into uh, Blockchain R and D to you know to 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 move into that area and to you know and uh, into three um, you know, D printing. So um, so just to give you an example, one thing that I read recently um, in the av in the aviation industry, there's a country uh, there's a company called Moog, and they basically specialize in the uh, manufacturing of parts for 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 um, uh, planes, right? And they they basically announced last year. At the end of last year, that they were looking at uh, finding a way to combine blockchain and 3D printing to to, to speed up the the, the replacement of um, damaged uh, aircraft carrier components. Oh wow! Uh, 
basically from several days, they said best case uh, down to uh, like, you know, a few hours, you know, because this is a process that usually can take weeks or months. Yeah. Um, and that is because... Sorry, James, James, one yes. second. My, my little one is uh, crying. I'm just going to get my missus. Yeah, go for uh, it. <laughs> Sorry about it. All right, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries at all. I, I, I know, yeah. I know the deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so three D printing. Sorry. So yeah, th this company. Should, should I stop, go from the beginning? From that? From from? Uh, yeah, from go ahead. Saying, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, that company called Moog. I mean, they're they're in the business of um, manufacturing um, spare parts and components for for aircraft. Yeah, and so they're. Um, proposition is to combine blockchain and 3d print 3d printing rather in a, in a way that hasn't been done before uh with the goal of speeding up the um the, you know basically the production um and the approval of replacement uh parts uh, and the reason why that's of significance is because um it's it's one of those markets that's heavily regulated uh and uh you know if you the sales of aircraft components they, they, they require um certification from the the FAA, which I think is the Federal Aviation Administration, yeah, uh, as well as a host of other agencies. And the, it's very time consuming. There's a lot of, you know, red tape involved. And so here the, ability, the idea is the ability of, of blockchain to um, authenticate the transactions and streamline the processes across large networks uh, involving, you know, the, the different partners in the ecosystem can really massively speed up the process. So uh, yeah, that was one that I, uh, company that I that uh, I looked you know in a little bit more detail as to what they were doing and it looked like it was a you know a very interesting application and use case so we've seen course, obviously now COVID has hit I'm not really sure to what degree that's going to be yeah uh, yeah know, <laughs> bit of a spanner in the works isn't it uh COVID. exactly exactly so are, um, are, are we seeing governments uh really uh, adopt this technology I mean apart from uh sort of Chinese the, the Chinese government uh, releasing a digital blockchain-based uh, currency. Are we are we seeing any other sort of examples of governments utilizing it, whether it's for voting or for anything else? There's definitely evidence that governments are moving into it. I mean, I think yeah. that a lot of people have asked themselves, you know, well, why why are we seeing governments so you know so slow and so late to to, yeah. to embrace the you know the the, the the, the, the technology and I think obviously there's definitely a parallel there between uh, what we've seen in the cryptocurrency space their failure to to get on top of the regulation I think is closely correlated with their you know their lack of you know um, 
ambition and drive to um, you know, leverage blockchain technology for their own purposes. Uh, so yeah, they've always been slow to, to, to embrace new tech. Um, and th that's for basically because governments are always slower to do it because of the innovation risk associated with developing you know, unproven technologies. Um, and they tend to be massively bureaucratic as well, which slows everything down. Um, yeah. And that's not even to mention the fact that they, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, a lot of them are self-preservationists and they, they, they tend to focus on elections. So a long-term technological um, you know, infrastructural development sometimes just isn't of, of, of interest. But I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely changing. I mean, I actually dug up some stats for you on this. Oh, um, fantastic. And uh, I've got my notes here. In the US, <laughs> for example, um, this is data from the IDC. And they, they've estimated that the US federal government the blockchain initiatives are on track to exceed 123.5 million dollars by 2022. Oh wow! Okay. So the, this data is a little bit old now. It's, it's at least a year old. So I think okay. those those the goalposts may have moved on this, but it's probably in the ballpark. But that represents a a thousand percent increase over over 2017, where it was 10.7 million, for example. And similarly, um, blockchain spending in state and local governments in the U.S. Uh, was, you know, ante anticipated to grow from uh, 4.4 million in, in 2017 to 48.2 million in 2022. So again, that's that's a, a you know a, a huge increase, um, and it's happening there, uh, and it's happening in governments that also tend to be more um, up, you know, up to speed and embracing new technology like you know you've heard what's going on in switzerland for example or um, estonia is another good example yeah in switzerland yeah. i mean that's a country i grew up there for many years so that's close to my oh, heart okay and they they've made large strides in in blockchain r d oh, uh okay. at you know implementing the solutions at a state level so for example geneva they they've invested quite heavily in, in blockchain systems and they they are almost sort of the leaders in blockchain in switzerland oh, wow. whereas i know that middle, yeah, the middle of the country that uh, in Zug is known as the the crypto capital. I think it's called crypto crypto valley. Yeah, there's, that, so there's a crypto town. I can't remember what it's called in in Switzerland. Yeah, that, that is yeah. probably Zug. That's probably yeah. that is probably Zug. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Geneva tends to be a little bit more involved in the in, in sort of the um, government uh, adoption of, of blockchain systems. So. One example that I remember from them is that they they've um, they've looked at um, they've they've kind of had like a two or three pronged approach yeah. uh, to get you know better operational efficiency um, through blockchain and so it's it's business integration is sorry business registration I, I remember is one point yeah um, they're also looking at it from a digital identity point of view and also from uh, you know an, an official document ID point of view as well so they've they've um, teamed up with um, uh, you know, different groups in the area. So, for example, Geneva's commercial reg registry teamed up with the Genève Lab, which is like a you know an IT uh, R and D outfit in the in the region, um, along with um, other um, public um, services bodies to, to 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 develop this. And so, they've looked at using Ethereum mainly, um, and the right. you know the idea is that you know the, again, like in many use cases, the the platform should allow or does allow for the you know for less um, friction and the flow of transaction data 
uh, and they're looking at cutting out like a lot of you know labor and time intensive uh, you know bureaucratic processes like um, you know mm. things like you know that involve public notaries, tax registration, bank loans, etc. Right. Okay. Um, so it, it, it is happening. Obviously, it, it's it tends to fly under the radar a lot more than uh, in in uh, than in the crypto space, which is not hard because um, it's obviously a pretty high bar because that's like that's breakneck tempo. Uh, but it, it's coming as well. Um, and at one point, I think the, for governments, the idea is that it will get to a point where, you, you, you know, in a few years when these systems become, go on, online and are mass produced, uh, that you, you won't even be aware that you're using a blockchain solution. Yeah, exactly. Be, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when you know it's hit, it's hit, it, it hits mass adoption once the, the normal man in the street doesn't even know they're using a blockchain-based solution, right? Definitely. It's definitely going to get to that point. I mean, we're a long way off, um, but I think that's that, that's the way that we're headed. Um, I think if thing, if this thing didn't have legs, I think it would have just um, fallen by the wayside already. But the fact that the momentum continues to build, um, you know, both in the crypto space and in the you know the, the blockchain application space, uh, and the fact that on the implement you know on the implementation level, there's a lot of um, progress that's being made in terms of the applications that are possible to be built on top of. Um, you know, Ethereum, say, for example, yeah. you know, you've probably heard all about the Ethereum 2 and how yeah, that's yeah, going yeah. to change, change the way that, you know, you can um, create micro economies through staking. Mm. I mean, all that is, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about in the space. Yeah. And particularly now where there's a lot less hype around and you actually have people who are, you know, you've got a lot more straight talkers around and they can actually walk you through the steps as to why something actually has value in the first place. So it sounds like the uh, sort of Dong Tapscott kool-aid that everybody was drinking in 20 uh 2016 2017 is wearing off and and a ho hopium is going away and now we're starting to see real tangible um examples well, you know the hopium aside what do we see as the major challenges or constraints with blockchain technology and when i when i talk about that i'm talking about sort of legal issues whether it's gdpr what are the major challenges ahead? Um, yeah, and I, I sort of agree with, with your point about um, uh, sort of the internet of value. Um, it, 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 yes, it is indeed the internet of value, but I think increasingly people are doing a bit of research and, and you know, getting the, un the understanding as to why it is called that. And that there is, you know, there are, there, there are merits to those positions. Um, so I think we're, we're definitely in, in a healthy space. But as you say, there are, like with any developing or fledgling technologies, uh, there are, you know, headwinds. Um, in the case of blockchain, um, the key um, issue that I think people look at is just a lack of interoperability. Um, that is one that comes up again and again. And, you know, I, I know that... Um, there has been, a, you know, a lot of progress that's been made, um, but you know, there's still a lot of work um, that has to be done to to um, to to combat that. So that you have different blockchains that can all talk to um, each other, even though they have yeah. you know different algorithms, different protocols, um, uh, etc. Uh, progress needs to be made in that area because right. um, you you know. If you want to deploy a solution, it's got to work with other solutions. Um, and otherwise, you, 
you know, there's no way forward to, to for those people to to come together and build something that will actually be, you know, a long last of long lasting benefit. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of work to 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 be doing to be done there. Um, but there are, you know, a lot of big name service providers. You know, your Oracles, your IBMs that yeah. are actively, you know, lobbying for more industry support for cross train cross industry uh, platforms for blockchain. So uh, that's definitely a major one. Uh, one that I, that, you know, in my opinion, tends to be a little bit overlooked is just um, relative to other technologies. Um, there's just a lack of decision-making data uh, simply because it hasn't been around yep. for that long. Yeah. Um, you know, 10 years ago, nobody was talking about um, blockchain uh, for, for business. Um, you know, we, we, you know, just witnessed the birth of um, blockchain through Bitcoin uh, just, you know, months prior. Fast forward, you know, to the present day, I mean, everybody's talking about it, but we don't really have a lot of data um, on which to base decisions. So, um, you know, the lack of data just basically presents challenges to, to um, be able to, to assess the ROI uh, and... Mm. That basically increases the level of perceived risk and investment risk. Um, and in a way, really closely linked to that is the fact that because of the hype train that Bitcoin and in a way blockchain has been on for the last few years, yeah. uh, a significant uh, number of executives uh, still think that the technology is overhyped. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, we have a situation where for other innovative technologies like uh, you know the internet of things um and you know even things like 3d printing that are you know run 24 7 you've got reams and reams of data on which to base investment decisions that doesn't really that doesn't really exist for, for blockchain so yeah as time goes on and as i think more information is comes online and is sort of de-siloed and shared I think we're going to see, you know, uh, you know, sort of an increase in, in investment uh, activity uh, and um, a decrease in, you know, a, an increase in appetite for the technology, put it that way. Uh, uh, and uh, the final point on that, maybe say that the, the one of the um, signposts of the, the concerns around the investment risk is, uh, is the consortia the rise of the of, of, of right. consortia around you know in different industries uh, in in, tra in trade in insurance and many other industries um, is uh, reflects the fact that you know that a lot of companies um, want to pool their resources and come yeah. together sit down and mitigate risk table. and mitigate risk as to, well right? exactly yeah, they want right. to come together to yeah to mitigate risk mm. um, obviously there are pros and cons um, in uh, for for consortia uh you know the number one being that you kind of don't have as much control as to how these things are developed um but of course uh yeah it's huge because you get to come to the table um, even though it's not clear how the the what the end game is in terms of business models and revenue streams uh it, it's basically helping the the industry um evolve in the space um and getting the ecosystem of players within that industry to sort of drive the solutions so I think that's that's a trend that will that's likely just to continue for for some time. We may see it go the other way as um, 
people come uh, businesses become more guarded about their yeah their own proprietary um you know technologies uh, or the blockchains that they're running to gain a competitive edge um but um yeah that's definitely a, another trend to watch um and then uh, finally yeah regulation and compliance i mean i we could go on about that for days as well but that's that's going to be key i mean that really hold you know in a way that holds the keys for a lot of blockchain um business business models and in, in for a lot of industries as well particularly for those that have real life um you know uh, legal concerns around security so for example in the automotive industry you've got to be very clear about you know what uh you know who's liable if if something fails mm. uh, because that has real world implications. So yeah. take, you know, link with another uh, technology like 3D printing, if you 3D, 3D print a part and that part fails, mm. well, you know, who, who, who's gonna be, who's ultimately responsible for that? And I think blockchain will have, um, you know, it's gonna play an increasing role there as well in making sure that everybody, you know, is singing from the same hymn sheet with respect to, um, you know, uh, um, regulating these, the, these technologies. Yeah, so yeah. If you're evolving if, picture. Yeah, yeah. If your driverless car drives you into a wall, who are you going to sue? You got to know. <laughs> you got to know who's responsible for that. And uh, yeah, that clarity must be carved out. Uh, okay, listen. Um, I've held you uh, for quite a while, so I, we're running out of time. Just to close out, kind of la- last section. I, I kind of want to get your views on how you see this all going in the future from a sort of blockchain. Bitcoin crypto perspective. Where where do you see this whole industry? You can even talk about Bitcoin, but where do you see all of this going in the say the next sort of five, 10, 20 years? What's your what's your outlook for this space? Uh my outlook is positive. Um I I I do very much approach it as some, you know, I don't really have skin in the game, uh, or at least I, you know, I I, I try to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and it's clear that it's still a young technology, but there, there's still a lot of potential for growth in, in many, many areas. And as we, you know, we, we spoke briefly about in the early part of our talk about, you know, where it's actually being used by people who are less fortunate than ourselves to, to be you know, sort of having the luxury sitting around um, debating use cases of obviously it's being deployed <laughs> in, you know, in real life situations where people yeah. are like basically less fortunate. So you know that being the case, I think it's you know both on the on on the on the bottom end, you know that's a great example. On the top end, there is just no limit to um, the the um, degree to um, institutional uh, activity in the space right now, because all the all the arrow, all the signposts are pointing one way, and that is like a, a huge ramp up in investment. As I said before, the ETF will be a crucial milestone to watch. Okay, I um, look out for that. Already, we're seeing, yeah, uh, we're already seeing all the signposts with respect to you know the, the regulations with your fidelities, your krakens, yeah. um, you know the the the, the various um, pronouncements on you know CFTC regulations and everything else. So it really is pouring in, uh, and the, the market cap, the market cap is still you know negligibly small compared to um, yeah compared to other um, industries. So I, I think the, really the, um, I, I hate to say the only way is up, but I just think as more interest pours into the market, it, it, you know, it is going to increase. There's um, a bit of upside in there. Definitely. there there's definitely upside in there. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's still uh, you know, sort of just to, 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 to hedge that position. I and mean, I would say that it's still 
going through a series of um, you know price discovery corrections. Yeah. So the volatility is going to be there. Um, the, the seesaw will continue, but as more more money pours into the market, um, you know, from from the institutional end at top, and also from the retail uh, side, um, yeah. it, uh, it's basically going to start to even out. You know, the same way that you know gold has evened out over the years. Um, so that will start to stabilize uh, for sure. Um, so it, it's hugely exciting. Um, it has a lot of potential uh, as an asset class, as a currency, and everything else. Um, so it's a great space to be involved in, basically. Um, from from a blockchain perspective, I would say, or you know, from a more philosophical note to end on, I mean, what I'm looking for again is sort of the continued uh, rebalancing of the relationship uh, of the individual with the with the institution. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to the, this this peer to peer trustless network of participants, I mean, that's where it really has you know its power really lies to um, basically disrupt that that relationship. And I think the reason why it's had so much success is because like we're because of the intersection of these different trends, we are seeing uh, political, social, economic, um, financial trends in, intersect um, that are pointing to the individual to want to reclaim some of that control. Um, and uh, I think the more that happens, uh, the more people can, tr- you know, transact value peer to peer, the less uh, importance that's going to place on institutions to, to sort of do that and pool resources on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And um, we know that how in- inefficient that can be uh, for states to, 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 to do that, to pool resources like the, pen- the pension system is a great example of that. I mean, we w- if the system, we wouldn't be, you know, on the precipice of a pension crisis so the um it has a lot of potential to disrupt that mechanism or that that relationship so i'm going to be very very interested to watch the the potential changes um happening uh on that level uh uh and then finally really the you know the whole micro economies and the staking uh how people are going to be creating new forms of value Mm. um basically potentially from at any given point at any, any given time how it's completely democratized, you know, um, money and uh, IP and value creation uh, mm-hmm. across the whole a whole host of different spaces. So that is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be really insanely interesting to see how that space develops, because I think that is is something that will, in a way, fly under the radar. I think before people actually really start to th- see these these um, dynamics play out in real time in front of them. When they can actually use a product, uh, um, you know, that microeconomy, or they can start to trade um, like tokens or for you know reserve power that they have in their in their bat in their lithium battery <laughs> storage capacity yeah. or whatever else. So there's there's a so many ways, yeah, exactly. Okay. So yeah. eventually, what we will see is that they will start to coalesce around certain uh, certain areas or certain yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. forms of value. But I mean, you know, no don't yet know exactly how that's going to uh, to pan out but i think uh, keeping an open mind as i know that you do um i'll be uh you know i'm looking to be uh, surprised pretty much every day so yeah we just gotta keep watching this is moving so fast and the goalpost moves every day but yeah we definitely nothing don't. would surprise me at this point yeah so. totally but James, we've covered so much. We've really covered so much. Uh, I've, I feel that I've learned so much. Where, where can anybody find, uh, get hold of you, whether it's social media or McKay Research? Where can we uh, find you? 
Well, the best thing is to, uh, first of all, you can email me directly at james at mckayresearch.com. And that's um, uh, mckay, D-K-A-Y, research.com. Um, I, I will do my best to, to get back to anybody who, who um, contacts me directly. Um, for more information about what we do, um, go to mckayresearchoneword.com. Uh, and um, my Twitter handle is at McKay Research, uh, and you can find me uh, on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, okay. If anybody's interested, people, for those in the tech space, I do have, um, this week we released a, a new report, and it's all about um, the, the degree to which or how the COVID-19 has impacted um, the Industry 4.0. So we basically look at how COVID is, is raised several questions on tech transformation and how it will play out under the, you know, under the pandemic and how it has so far. Uh, and so we look at things like, um, you know, mass unemployment, um, mm. you know, global supply chain, supply chain shifts, uh, government lockdowns and how that will, you know, accelerate deployment of these um, connected digital technologies. Um, so that is um, available on my website. So just head on over uh, yeah. and um, you can download a free copy. Um, and yeah. Appreciate that's, it. That's it. it. Yeah, so James, just um, send me any links that you want me to put in the show notes to any of your um, uh, so any of your articles, any uh, as you said, your website, all your social media. Um, that's fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes, and I just need like a um, sort of just a, a headshot. Your LinkedIn picture, I guess, will do. So just any sort of headshot. I'll do that. Just adjusting. Uh, and, and build a, a thumbnail for it. But now I really enjoyed that. That was yeah, that was uh, great. Wow, we covered so much. <laughs> we were stinging like a uh, stinging floating like a uh, I can't remember the uh, Muhammad Ali uh, expression. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. <laughs> yeah, I've been up since six a.m., so I've had a really long day. So, but no, we really covered a lot there, and I'm looking forward to looking listening back to that um yeah you've got a lot of knowledge you've really got a lot of knowledge so um we'll get we'll get this it'll probably take me about two weeks to turn it around so um yeah get it out there no rush no rush yeah yeah yeah. really looking forward to hear this at the final finished product but nah we did it finally did it and i hopefully i'd like to get you back on sooner or later i think what i'm going to do is do like 10 10 episodes and then take a break and then maybe come back when the market's moved a bit and then see where we are and, and, and do sort of follow-ups with everybody. So uh, I look forward to doing that, but it's nearly eight o'clock. Let me leave you to get home to your family. <laughs> and yeah. Um, well, yeah. be in bed when I get home. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate um, your time. And so, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, oh, let's keep in touch. Definitely look yeah, no, for a beer pleasure. when everything gets fixed. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it would be great to meet up for, yeah. for a beer, to be honest. Um, when, uh, yeah, I mean... Just some sort of normality. My, yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah I'm, not, I'm not naive enough to think that they're, gonna, they're going to move it forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the, 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 like the, the, the lockdown, ending the lockdown. But yeah. I, I still have like a week after they do it. So we, you know, we'll, we'll keep the lines open and try and make it happen. Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. And then, yeah, we, then we can, talk, we can talk more about how things have moved and, uh, you know, uh, it'd be great to chat again. Yeah. At one point, you know, I myself, at one point, I'm going to get a, um, a podcast together. So. Ah, uh, cool. Well, I'm just going to yeah, set up is, a YouTube channel, which I have to do. Just, just call me up anytime. Call me up anytime. 
definitely. So, definitely. yeah, exactly. No, I'd be happy to return the favor. <laughs> appreciate it. appreciate it, mate. So, I right, have a great evening and, and, yeah, really appreciate it. Take care, bro. You take care, man. See you later. Bye. All right. Bye.